Greetings and welcome to another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. Podcast episodes are available on many popular podcast hosting sites, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Deezer, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Blueberry, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, and at www.vhha.com. You can also hear episodes of the podcast each Saturday at noon on WJFN 100.5 FM in the Richmond area. Please send any questions, comments, or feedback to pcfpodcast at vhha.com. Again, that is PCFpodcast at VHHA.com. Today, we're pleased to be joined by Dr. Joel Shulkin, a working physician who moonlights as a novelist. In a moment, we'll chat with him about his career in medicine, what inspires his writing, and more. But first, welcome to the program, Dr. Shulkin. Thank you. So we're glad to have you today, and for the benefit of our listeners, Dr. Shulkin is a family man and a practicing pediatrician in Florida who did his internship and residency at a military medical facility, and Dr. Shulkin also writes medical thriller novels, which i got to be honest here, in discussing this episode of the podcast with someone on my staff, they remarked that your story sounds a little bit like the plot of the TV show Dexter. So TV analogies aside, mm-hmm. Dr. Shulkin, tell us about your novels and what originally inspired you to start writing. Sure. Well, I mean, I took courses in creative writing back in college, and then I put it aside for a while as I uh, pursued my medical career in medical school, residency, and working in the military. And it wasn't until I got out of the military, and I actually had about a year before I started my fellowship where I was just doing locum tenens, that suddenly I found I had all this free time. So I started going back to writing. Originally, I was just kind of dabbling in more fantasy-type novels. And after I got married, when I was living in Boston doing my fellowship, I just came up with this idea for a thriller where it all got inspired by as I was riding the bus to the hospital one day. Um, it was a totally empty bus. Of course, one of the person got on the bus and decided to sit directly behind me. <laughs> and I was like, why would anybody do that? And then my mind just started spinning. The wheels in there started spinning. And I thought, well, this could be a really kind of creepy situation that could spark the idea for a thriller. And it just kind of snowballed. From there, I actually met Michael Palmer through the Mass Medical Society and heard him talk about how he started writing and talked a little bit, and it really got me inspired to the idea of writing medical thrillers. So, and I appreciate you sharing that backstory with us. People think of pediatricians as warm, friendly people, but as you <laughs> said, you know, you your writing is is in the medical thriller vein, and, and that's a little bit more noir, and there's right. sort of an interesting duality there. What are your own sort of armchair psychology thoughts about that distinction or that dichotomy? It is, it is something that I kind of toyed with a little bit because at one point, after I got an agent, we had originally come up with the idea of my using a pseudonym, a pen name for my thrillers because of that very purpose, the fact that here's a pediatrician writing dark thrillers. And then ultimately, the publisher really recommended me just to use my real name because we wanted to play up the fact that this is a doctor who is writing this thriller. So people would be able to look back and say, yeah, he really is a doctor, not just some guy who's claiming he is. But I think it's a good way of just escape you know, because the thrillers are entirely fiction. They're they're about technology that years away. And I think from that perspective, I've always enjoyed watching thrillers. I never actually watched Dexter, but there are some similarities, I think, between Average Effects and the TV show Blind Spot and the fact that here she is, she's lost her memory and now she's dealing with this dual personality as her old personality comes back. So there is some similarity there, but that's kind of where that similarity ends as far as my book compared to that series. But it's just 
a really fun way of exploring the dark side of medicine because I actually have done a lot in public policy through the American Medical Association, through various medical societies, and I've gotten to see you know some of the risks and some of the potential hazards that come out with our new advances in medicine. And so I think one aspect of writing medical thrillers is that really brings the public awareness of what those potential risks are. And so it can be, in a way, a form of advocacy for more safety measures, for more accountability through enjoyable fiction. Well, let's stay on technology for a second. One technology that many clinicians and practitioners have been using in greater frequency during the COVID-19 pandemic is telehealth. I know Mm -hmm. that many of our members and frontline caregivers are consulting with patients that way if they're not in a hospital setting. Tell me about how the pandemic has impacted you and the patients that you see, and are you using or leveraging telehealth to communicate more regularly with your patients at this moment in time? Yes, I'm actually using telehealth almost exclusively for all my follow-up. So I'm actually a board-certified developmental behavioral pediatrician. So I only see well patients. My focus is on children with developmental disabilities like autism, ADHD, learning disabilities, communication disorders. So there really wasn't the need to bring most of these patients into the clinic and expose them to potential risk of catching COVID or other infectious disease unnecessarily when they're not sick. For about the first week or two, we had a lot of cancellations. We had a lot of patients who didn't want to leave the house. But since we switched to the telehealth format, my schedule's been full. And in fact, my no-show rate has dropped significantly. The only no-shows I've had in the last two weeks were new patients who I still have to see in person. So it really has been a benefit. There's only been a few glitches along the way. We're using a very secure telehealth platform. The patients have all expressed how happy they are, especially because I have some families who come two hours away to see me. So it's made it very convenient, better than a phone call because I can really talk to them. I can see them. I can examine the patient if need be. I'm still able to provide refills for medications. If it is possible, that especially for those long distance patients, that we can continue doing telehealth if they need and still get reimbursed at the same rate as we currently are, then I think it would be a fantastic way of servicing our patients. And you touched on something I was going to ask about, which is to what extent do you think that this pandemic and some of the after effects of it, not so much medically, but in the way that we interact with people, in the case that you just referenced, physician, patient, do you think that modalities like telehealth will become even more prominent? Because in some respects, this situation has pushed people in that direction, and now people are becoming more comfortable with it. I would think so. Telemedicine has been around for years, and some physicians and other practitioners have been using it quite successfully for some time. The only reason I think it hasn't been as extensively used is because of insurer reluctance to cover it. I think maybe this might open their eyes to realize, hey, there's actually a good benefit here. It could potentially cut down unnecessary expenses. I actually have found that some of my patients, many in fact, I'm spending less time with them. And of course, then I'm not billing for as long a visit because we don't have to deal with the whole getting them checked in, you know, getting interrupted. It's just a a phone call. We're addressing what we need to address. And then that's it. 
Well, let me ask you one other thing before uh, we shift this conversation to a few more personal questions. Just tell people who are listening to this, you have written several novels and you've won some writing awards for the work that you've done. So congrats on that. But for the benefit of listeners, just tell people the titles of your novels and how they can find them online, whether through your website or other online retailers, booksellers, etc. Sure. Well, the only full-length novel that is currently available is my debut medical thriller, which is called Averse Effect, and that's the one that you were comparing to Dexter. That will be launched, going on sale September 15th of this year on my website, which is authorjoelshulkin.com. You can find links to the hardcover edition in Amazon, directly through my publisher, Blackstone, Barnes & Noble, and several other locations, as well as the ebook through Kobo and the audiobook through Audible. That is my debut, which is is essentially about a self-treating psychiatrist who is taking experimental drug from amnesia. When her patients go insane, she discovers that the drug may be at fault and she has to fix it before she suffers the same fate. So this is the first book in a anticipated three-book series. I'm currently working on the second book. And then I have a third novel that is not directly in that series. And that series is called The Memory Thieves. The third book is actually about a military medical examiner and much more sci-fi based, but that one is also set in the same universe as the Memory Thieves series. So that's authorjoelshulkin.com. So if you're interested and you're listening to this, please check out that website and see more about Dr. Shulkin's work. So as I said, we've got a few sort of personal questions, a little more offbeat, just to give people a bit of a sense of who you are. So the first question, Dr. Shulkin, is this, what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given and why is it important in your life? Ooh, well, I think from a writing perspective, one of the best pieces of advice I got was actually from Tess Gerritsen, who's another physician turned author. Most people probably know her from the Rizzoli and Isle series. When I was starting out, I actually asked her a question that you kind of posed earlier. I said, you know, I'm a pediatrician. I don't work in an emergency room. I don't work in an operating room. And that's pretty much all I saw from medical thrillers. And I said, they always tell you as a writer, write what you know. But what I know is being in a clinic and seeing kids and working with them, that's hardly, you know, fodder for a medical thriller. I said, should I just give up? And she told me, if you just wrote what you know, how boring would that be? And she said, I'm bored of just reading about ER scenes and OR scenes. She told me, you should write what you want to know. I think that carries over in medicine, too. I mean, why do we go into medicine? It's not just to keep doing the same thing over and over again, to do the same procedures, to see this, you know, to try to treat the same illnesses. It's to learn and to learn about our ever-changing world. I mean, how many of us ever thought six months ago that we'd be trying to figure out how to survive both as an individual and as a medical practice during a pandemic? And I think that that was just advice that really stuck with me, that we're always learning and we're always growing. Um, And I think whether you're talking about as a writer, whether you're talking about as a physician or health Healthcare professional, I think we always need to hold on to that. Absolutely. Being a lifelong learner and learning from experience, those are valuable insights. So thank you for sharing those. Next question, Dr. Shulkin. In the imaginary, hypothetical scenario that you found yourself on death row, what would your last meal be? Oh, well, I would probably request, and I can't even remember exactly the name of the meal, but best meal we ever had was at Les Balieres in Boston. It's a French restaurant, way more expensive than I probably could afford right now, but (laughs) it was just unbelievable. And so I think just French food in general from that restaurant would, would be my choice. 
Okay, French cuisine. All right, and then typically at this point in the podcast, we would ask you to share with us one book, one album, and one movie that you would take with you to keep yourself occupied if you were stranded on a deserted island, which is sort of the ultimate form of social distancing. And we will still allow you to share those picks with us, and we'd love to hear them. But first, since these are very unprecedented times, I wonder if there is one song that is your go-to song right now to help you unwind and mellow out at the end of a busy and stressful day? Hmm. Well, pretty much every night I sing to my my girls to sleep. And the one song that they always kind of want me to sing is uh, All of You by John Legend. Um, That's certainly one of my favorites. But I think the other one that I just kind of like to go to in general is Your Song by Elton John. My gift is my song, and this one's for you. And I think that music is just such a great tool. There's so many even health aspects that we know about how it stimulates dopamine, how it helps to stimulate endorphins. And I think during stressful times like that, just knowing that music and being able to write music or enjoy music can really just change your outlook on everything. I sense a theme as well. You you cited both John Legend and Elton John, both male singers and balladeers who are fond of the piano. So I, I think I sense a theme there. Sure. If you care to offer your responses to the Deserted Island question, which is what one book, one album, and one movie would you take in your personal survival kit if you were stranded by yourself on an island? By myself. Well, probably both the book and the movie, I would go with Princess Bride. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. I've read the book probably about 20 times, seen the movie about 50 times, but I enjoy both every single time. And they're different enough that they're mutually enjoyable. And I think if I was stranded out there, I would need some humor. And so I think that would be how I'd show those two. As far as the album, that's a tricky one. And especially now in the days of MP3s where you're not really just listening to a whole album, it's hard to think back on that. But I probably would go with, oh, what was the name of... Pink's album. Is it uh, Misun- Misunderstood? Is that the name of it? No, it's the one that she did the tour where she was doing all the aerobatic. Yeah, I think I know. Was, oh, was it called was it something yeah. like Fun House or something like with a circus name or something like that? Yeah, I think so. We'll go with that. We won't put you on the spot. Yeah. You've, you've already given us enough. <laughs> and, you know, listen, okay. any time that there's an opportunity to drop an Inigo Montoya reference is a good day. So <laughs> there we go. That is going to bring us to the close of another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. If you like what you heard, please make sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so that you know when new episodes are available. And thanks again to our guest, novelist, and physician, Dr. Joel Shulkin, for being with us today. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. 